Hello guys and welcome to the podcast Sport and Life. I do hope you're well amidst the sort of pandemonium that seems to have broken out around coronavirus. Primarily I hope you're healthy and safe, particularly if you're in one of the vulnerable uh, demographics. Um, shout out to the sponsor as ever, Bang & Olufsen of Cheltenham and Serene AV, who are specialists in some of the finest home entertainment brands producing solutions based around high quality customer service and installations now if you are self-isolating obviously you're not going to go into the store in montpelier and cheltenham but um you know, obviously worth browsing online at this particular time whilst it's a very difficult time as well for businesses like jason's bang olufsen of, of cheltenham and indeed others particularly my local area thinking of the small business around cheltenham as well at the moment where people stop frequenting them have been advised to stop frequenting particularly restaurants and pubs and we know and it's the health is paramount clearly for everyone, but there are going to be financial implications potentially for us all because I think we can all look at all our works of places of work, minor broadcaster, and their streams of income. And ultimately, when people around the country and the world stop getting paid, then those streams for businesses, however grandiose they may seem, uh, potentially dry up. And I think today is a chat that I'm going to go and speak to John Finnegan. Finners, former Cheltenham Town player, former Nottingham Forest youth graduate uh, player at Lincoln as well, who's now, I think, head of marketing at Cheltenham Town. I don't know his official title, but I have a quick chat with him and Paul Godfrey, who is club secretary at Cheltenham Town, a League Two football club where, like all the elite level football in England, indeed, pretty much all the football now, grassroots football as well, suspended due to coronavirus. People will argue quite rightly, but there are potential ramifications of that uh, contracts have to be paid the revenues tend to be week to week in those divisions so i'll just see get a picture of the situation for them and how long perhaps potentially they can operate and how long they can pay their players who aren't lavishly paid like the premier league players and who probably relatively like the club month to month with their mortgage payments and rent payments very much like all of us i suppose in that sense so it's just going to get an idea of that and just to get a perspective on it and as i say i hope to speak to a doctor or two towards the end of the week to give some cogent advice on coronavirus, a summary of the situation to date, what we know from doctors and what they are handling day to day as well with the National Health Service in the UK. Do hope you're well and I hope this offers some distraction at the moment as well in terms of um, entertainment if you are working from home or indeed work's being suspended. I wish you all the best and I'll speak to you soon. Thank you very much guys. Okay, guys, so here we are, the boardroom at Cheltenham Town, which is pretty much deserted apart from me, John Finnegan, Finners, and Paul Godfrey. Paul, great to meet you. Uh, wish it was in more normal circumstances. But you are the club secretary, but Finners was also saying to me in a message that you're the club historian, or a club historian. Does this compare to any time in history? People are saying Second World War, that kind of thing. Is it ring any bells? The only, the only things you could compare it with in the early 70s during the... Uh Sort of crisis, then the energy crisis and stuff. You weren't able to play midweek games, so you had to play sort of oh, okay. Tuesday afternoons in front of two men and a dog. Yeah, but yeah, the only really comparable thing would be would be the war. Yeah. Did they need to extend the season in that season? Or? Well, what ha- it's interesting what happened. They um, because obviously war broke out in September. The season only just started, so it mm. was actually quite easy to to call the halt to it at that point. But then, fairly soon, people realised that. Actually, um, they didn't need to stop football necessarily straight away. Mm. And um, over time, the government, I think, began to feel that football was actually quite a positive thing for society, that, that it prov- helped with morale and, and stuff like that. So they, they were quite happy for, for football to carry on, albeit there were heavy restrictions on movement, that kind of stuff. So there was football played during the war, but it was a very, they weren't official competitions. It was a bit different to, 
to what had gone on uh, sort of before and afterwards. But certainly, as soon as the war finished, football was back. Yeah, and it, I mean, can you <laughs> people, people desperately wanted him back? Yeah, because that was six years. But can you you must anticipate? I suppose this time there'll be a similar kind of rush of enthusiasm for, for norm, normality. People will be excited to go back to work to to um, watch a game, whatever yeah, it might be. Yeah, I mean, that, this is one of the one of the big things I think to to focus on is the end point of, of, of this disruption because the important thing is, is it's not he's not going to go on forever mm. obviously it's going to get worse before it gets better it's, there's going to be some very difficult times ahead but if you can focus on that perceived light at the end of the tunnel then and, and be ready to go again when when it does when we do get given the all clear yeah well, we're all kind of um, quite far apart here, so hopefully Finnis will, will show up on the uh, the audio here. He's over in the corner. But how are you? Uh, how are you processing things, Finnis? Anything remember from your career about being out for a long time, or, or anything happening? Nothing like this. Just obviously personal injuries kept me out from from the game occasionally, as, uh, as Paul knows. Paul recruited you, didn't he? You said well, he didn't recruit me. He was, he was my. I was his first signing as club secretary. Oh. So he obviously the contract and everything else. So that was an interesting meeting. With it must have been a good contract. You're still friends now. So. <laughs> Steve Cottrell and, and Paul Godfrey, yeah. There was a couple of little tweaks, wasn't there? I needed to putting in on the day that I'd been missed out, but uh, through a lack of communication from, from Lincoln, I think. So oh, okay. it, was, it was an interesting one. Yeah, I bet it, I bet it was. This is very, it's very interesting, very surreal. Obviously, there is serious things at stake, people's health and things like that. But what have you made of it from, from your role? I called you the chief marketing officer in my intro, but I can't remember the official title. But commercial manager. Commercial yeah. manager. Um, how have you, have you found it in terms of business this week since the football stopped? Is it, is it completely slowed down? Yeah, I mean, we're, 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 at the moment, we're working from home. Um, uh, Paul and myself have been in, but um, the community department's still going. Everybody's still working. Mm. But obviously, we know we know football matches or events. Yeah. Uh, to sell a lot, a lot of it's calmed down. So we we've got to, we're going to meet tomorrow and discuss um, what we can do moving forward in terms of planning and um, marketing of season tickets and, and things like that, and where, whenever that might be. Mm. Um, but putting different different things in place for for when we can start talking to people and and finding out what's going to happen with this because there's there's a lot to. Uh, to digest at the moment. Yeah, that's the thing about the shutdown. It's not necessarily the, the, whether we shut down, it's the timing of it, which I think there's been a big, big debate about and whether we get that right. We'll only know in, in hindsight, I suppose, we'll have an, an inkling about that. But with the sponsorship, with the work you do, is how much of it is it per seat? Obviously, the Johnny Rock Stadium, I presume, is sponsored for the season, etc. Mm-hmm. How much of the sponsorship is, though, match-to-match in terms of income? Um, match-to-match is more on the hospitality side, so match sponsorships, yeah. match ball sponsorships, captain sponsorships, and just dining packages. Um, but a lot of the a lot of the sponsorship packages are across you know annually per season really so whether they be one year two year three year deals um, so yeah you know a lot of those sponsors you know I'll, I'll be discussing mm. um, discussing things with I've already contacted everybody who's due to come to the Grimsby and, and um, Newport Games um, yeah I noticed that Grimsby is still slated on the uh, the, the yeah, board outside yeah. outside Wadden Road yeah I mean it still could be our next game who knows but the, yeah. date, the date's obviously going to change but um, yeah it's just letting everybody know where, where we are and, and where we stand with things at the moment and yeah. we're, obviously we're keen to get things back to normal as, as soon as possible of course yeah obviously, obviously everybody's health comes first yeah it does it does and the, the sort of I think a lot of people now get financial concerns about the flow of money Paul because they see it in society even at Sky Sports we mentioned subscribers will they want to keep subscribing will they be able to because of their jobs etc etc it's a it's a complex picture and we sort of realise that that once one thing stops then maybe something else stops as well with the, where money goes 
What is the assessment? Because of people who are listening who don't know Cheltenham Town, it's in League Two, which is the fourth tier of English football. Looked like they're on track maybe for a promotion push to the third tier, League One, but obviously that's that's on hold. With the financial picture here, how much is banked or, or on the immediate week-to-week revenue in terms of financial outlay? Because presumably you still have to pay all the staff and all the players at the mm. moment. Yeah, we've still got the players' contracts and uh, all the rest of the staff um, who, who operate from, from here. Obviously, if you're not playing games, you don't get the ticket income, but also you don't have the match day expenses either. Mm. Um, That's interesting. It says the net profit isn't what people necessarily think it is. No, there, there, I mean, there is a... There, yes, it's possibly not that, but um, really, for us financially, everything will depend on how long we have to break for. Mm-hmm. Um, what other factors come into consideration? I mean, we could, we can survive, um, you know, for a, for a period of time before things get difficult. Um, but it really will. If we get into say, for example, May when we, when we normally start trying to sell season tickets, that's when you get a big uh, spike of cash that comes in that's it tied you over for the summer months. Oh, okay. Now, if people are still, if if there's no prospect of football starting again and people are still, uh, you know, finding finding life very difficult financially, then that that's, that's going to have an effect as well. We're not just talking necessarily about the next five remaining home games. Mm. It's uh, it's it possibly going you know going into the season tickets for next season. I mean, I think we'll possibly know more. In the next few days, because obviously UEFA are meeting today, Football League are meeting tomorrow, Premier League are meeting Thursday, yep. and uh, obviously we get an input into the into the Football League process, and we uh, we've outlined our position that two things: we want the league ticket this season to, to be completed. Yeah, we think it's important that the season's completed. Is that a financial thing or an emotional, intellectual kind of well, thing? Because there's a myriad of aspects. There, our, our our view is that. Without knowing the full detail of the broadcasting contract, we would assume that you would need to complete a season in order to fulfil the broadcasting obligations and protect mm. those revenues. Uh, and but secondly, um, it's about the integrity of the competition. You know, you've got to sort out who's going to be promoted, who's going to be relegated, yes. and all, all the rest of it. Um, and the second point that, that we, we, we've made clear is that we want we want to know what's going to happen with the the, the finances. Yeah, because. Clubs, as I say, in our case, there's no immediate threat, but we don't want it to go on for too long. Because the so you want help from the EFL? Do they have an emergency fund or something like that? Well, there are various things that you know options available, things that can be looked at. But as we all know, there is a there's a lot of money in football, mm-hmm. at the, particularly at the top end of the game. Yeah, and you know there, there needs to be some pretty um, community-minded sort of. Needs to be some very frank conversations about some of the amounts of money that, that are, you know, Premier League paid two hundred and fifty million pounds to agents last year, for example. Mm-hmm. Is that a good use of football's money? Yeah. So seeing football as a holistic family rather than division by division or club by club, having that sort of yeah. that kind of tribal mentality, individualistic individualistic mentality. Yeah, and as I say, we're not talking about something that's going to necessarily go on forever. This is this is a, a unique, unforeseen set of circumstances. Yeah. Um, and, but drastic measures may be needed to get everybody through it. What's, what's your sense, Finnis, from a commercial perspective? Do you think that it's better and gives more clarity to finish a season, whatever time it might be, even if it's May, June, July, and then you get that sponsorship money potentially match day, and then you maybe have a shorter summer break and, and go again? Is it better to impact the future rather than this season, do you feel? I, I think so. Well, backing up what, what Paul said, I, I just think 
naturally the season's so far in now. Yeah. You know, everybody's invested in it and I think it needs to be finished whether it takes two months, three months, mm. whatever that might be, uh, and when it's safe to come back and, and finish that finish the season off. Um, and then maybe a discussion needs to be had on you know, how it affects the following season or the or even the season after that. I think that obviously needs a little bit of discussion, but I think it needs to mm. to end whether it ends a month later or two months later. Yeah. And then everything else needs reshuffling. But um, in a sense that everyone's invested in this season already whether it be sponsors, broadcasters, clubs, mm. you know, competitions, and I, I think it needs finishing off. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I suppose as well, Paul, you, there's the argument maybe in times of trouble, clubs have crowdfunded fans and things like that, but I suppose mm. it's something that is difficult this time, isn't it? Would you, would you want to do that at this point, given, I suppose, everyone else's insecurities over, over money? Yeah, I mean, two, two of the sort of desperate measures that football clubs have resorted to in the past are, yeah, getting the buckets out, crowdfunded things, mm. Uh, and also what's called drawing out credit from Her Majesty's Revenue and Customs, not paying your PAYE or paying <laughs> your VAT on time. Okay. Um, now, clearly, you know, there are rules that prevent you from doing that now, but... But could HMRC actually make some allowances in that regard, potentially? Or is it morally right to do that? Because at the end of the day, the government needs money, mm. and that money goes is, is going to go to the NHS and things yeah. like that. So... You All know, money should, goes somewhere, ultimately, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, really, football should be paying its bills. And, and as I said at the start, there's a lot of money at the top end of the game mm. that could be better used, perhaps, in seeing the whole of football, the football family, as, yeah. as, as the, the phrase goes, um, through this immediate crisis. If the Premier League uh, creates a crisis fund for lower league football, how would you see that divvied up? Would it be proportionate to expenses to the size of a club in terms of their financial commitments? Well, the Football League gets all of the gate statements from clubs from every game because we have to pay them a, a levy on the, um, on the net gate from every match. So the mm. Football League knows exactly how much money every club will have lost from not playing a game. Okay. So it's, it, it and that will vary quite wide, wide, widely, even in the yeah. lower leagues, yeah? Yeah, obviously, some clubs are bigger than others. But we, you know, we've all done our budgets. We all know what we expect to get from games. And the league will know that as well. So it, it, it really wouldn't be difficult to calculate how much people will be out of pocket by not playing. Mm. And Finn, from a player's perspective, not that long ago, retired, what, what would you make of, of this situation now? They have got programmes at home, haven't they, the guys? I understand Michael Duff's given them that. And do you think it's... It's a, difficult, it's a difficult case for them, isn't it, of knowing when, when you can come back and when you're likely to be exposed, exposed to the virus. And you know, some argument that people say that young, fit men would, should have it and then be immune to it and, and come back. It's a, it's a complex picture. It is, yeah. I, I think that the, the players these days are really professional um, individually and, and, and as a team they've got a lot more information at their disposal from fitness mm. um, you know, consultants and things like that. So... I think they'll all, they'll all go away. They'll keep themselves fit. They'll look after themselves. Uh, they're not going to be in the pubs by the look of it anyway. Yeah. They're not going to be open probably no. by the end of this week. Um, but I don't think they do. They're not like that anyway. Anyway, times yeah. have changed, and they're they're very professional. They look after themselves. Do you think they'll be worried um, though, particularly on contracts coming up up to sort of renewal in the summer? I, I guess so, but probably no more worried than they would have been. Yeah, coming coming towards the end of a contract if the season was due to continue. Um, Do you think they used to? Yeah, it's funny in a way. I wondered if lower league footballers, in a sense, because I thought I spoke to a freelance copy writer yesterday, Jennifer Townsend, and she was Sarah Townsend. Sorry, she was talking about the freelance mentality. There is a familiarity with uncertainty, and I suppose lower league footballers. We've talked about it. 
contrast to Premier League players with longer contracts, they are more familiar with that almost month-to-month mentality and, and having to kind of change and think on your feet. Yeah, I think in recent years, uh, many clubs and, and here, players have been coming in on one-year contracts. Um, but I think since Michael's come in, he's sort mm. of changed that a little bit, hasn't he? We've tried to get you know key players tied down onto longer contracts earlier um, to stop people coming in and taking away from us. So, um, it's yeah... They, Players in, in lower league football are used to short-term contracts and yeah. contracts coming to an end and having to find another club. and, and um, Yeah, it's just it's, the uncertainty is the same as what we've got, really. Because yeah. they, they just don't know when that, this season's going to end, if it's going to end, sure. uh, and when that might be. So Paul and I were talking yesterday and, and discussing that contracts might have to be extended as well if players are, you know, if, if the season mm. extends beyond June, July... Um, and it's complex then for them as well because they're trying to think of what if, if it's not going to be extended beyond two months where do they go yeah yeah. so it's, that's another conversation as well there it's just it's just creating more, more uncertainty around every different facet of football or, or life I suppose yeah Paul do you know how long the club could survive without income without match day income without match day income um, it's very difficult to say it's very, that's a very difficult question to ask. Because all your expenses have just gone down as well, presumably. Yeah, and, and without knowing the full picture of what's going to happen with the broadcast revenue, what, you, you know, um, it's, it's, it's a difficult question. And, and, and as I say, season ticket income for... Anyway, I, think, I think that would be a huge one. We, we could probably survive this the, re, the remainder of this season. Yeah. You know, uh, and, and, and bundle our way through. But it's more about... Um, the season ticket income for next season, I think that would, if there was, if we took a serious hit on that, then that really would affect us. That's an interesting one. So that's in for people who don't know. In May, you typically sell ahead to next season, which in the summer, obviously, there's no football. That's a, a time that that kind of puts you through that that period in terms of salaries. Yes, that's right. Yeah. yeah. And how, how, is that proportionate to to a season income? How much comes from the season tickets in that period? Season tickets. I mean, it's, it, it, it's a growing part of our income. It's probably. We're lower than some clubs. We still we still sell quite a few tickets on the on the, on the day on, on the day of games, but it's it's a significant percentage. I'd, you know, it's it's not quite fifty percent, but it's not far off. Mm. And fitness, I suppose it's it's a tricky one, isn't it? It kind of makes all of us think, doesn't it? it businesses and individuals about saving money, doesn't it? Do you think this is kind of a wake up call for for everyone? I know that Michael Dust spoken in the past about players in particular maybe outliving their their incomes as well, trying to live up to like the Premier League image and things like that. It's, it's quite a sobering time, isn't it? Do you think football can learn from it as well? Yeah, well, you can't get anywhere without savings at times no. like this, can you? You've got, you've got to have a little bit of money in the bank to tide you over for, for hard times, I think. Or you've got to try and have that. I know yeah. a lot of people struggle, you know, just in life generally, don't they, without putting money away and things like that. So, yeah. it, you know, it'll hit people hard. But um, Is it an opportunity for football to come together, do you think, as an ex-player? And I'd hope so. Now, I yeah. mean, I, I'm just in my own little head sort of thinking about certain things and, I, and I'm looking at it now and thinking if, if I was a Premier League player earning £60,000 a week yeah, and someone said can you donate a week's wages to the fund for the lower leagues and, and things like that I'd, I'd like to think that mm. So it almost but, might come down to the players and well, particularly players who might have friends in something that crossed yeah. my mind I, yeah. I remember I think there was a time where all Premier League players dropped a day's wages for a certain charity or something like that mm. a, a few years ago. And like Paul said, there's so much money in the game, and you know when when players and and 
and people around those players sort of really look at. And yeah. a lot of them do. A lot of them do some great stuff for charity already, you know. Mm. Um, but I think you know that charity might sort of extend to mm. ch- you know charity starts at home sometimes, doesn't it? And yeah. I think if if they can help, almost like a mentor system where you have yeah, a, 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 a league two player or... who were in there have played played with lads who are going to be at lower level clubs or you know lads who started at higher level mm. clubs and have dropped down the system and, and vice versa and. It is a family. I mean, football's a really tight-knit community and everybody knows somebody who knows somebody and there's a lot of people doing really well out the game and a lot of people who are just getting by. So I think it is, it is time that, times like this that really call for, for, for the whole football community to come together. And, yeah. and like Paul said, at the top end of football in the Premier League, um, it's, you know, yeah. the amounts of money is incredible, isn't it? So It is. Um, obviously, clubs like us and... and Clubs similar to us would like to see a little bit of that. Yeah, neither neither of us are are doctors, or none of us are doctors or epidemiologists, kind of uh, disease experts. So we don't know if it's completely unprecedented whether it will happen again. We've had sort of warning shots with swine flu and SARS and things like that in the past, but that will be left to the the experts to conclude the risks in the future. Paul, but do you see there'll be a a change in the, the attitude from from football going forward? You mentioned the agents' fees and where where certain money's been flowing in the past. Do you feel that there will be more of a I guess a, a community-minded spirit, like there was probably in the war, I'd imagine. You'd certainly hope so. You'd certainly, I mean, it won't come from the clubs or, organically because they'll go, as soon as, as soon as this is over, let's, let's be honest, they'll just go back to paying, <laughs> paying as much as they can to get the best possible players. Yeah, because there is a desperation but, that drives behind it. Yeah, to, to nothing, win, it's like yeah, a regular business, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, but strategically, I think football's really got to think about it the way it does its business. And certainly... Football League, having been through the ITV digital crisis in the early 2000s, you'd think that they would have, well, you'd hope that they would have some financial reserves. Mm. Remind us, remind us what happened there with, with that. Well, yeah, ITV digital went bust, basically. Mm. It, was, it was the broadcast partner for the league at the time, and um, so it had a huge impact on, uh, on the broadcast revenues. I mean, ironically, there were probably a smaller percentage of income back then than they are now. So if a similar thing were to happen these days, then it would, the effects would be even more catastrophic but in the end the government helped to bail out football yeah by uh, by providing some um, through the football foundation effectively uh, provided some money um but i can't see that happening in this instance. the government's going to be under because the pump for everything plenty else of other things that it needs to spend its money on yeah. rightly so um so football should really change the way it does business and and, and like cheltenham here we've got as I say, we, we can survive through probably to the end of the season, but um, we don't have big cash reserves. Yeah. And that's not the way that football has really ever done its business. Because, because it's not really based on being a profit-making operation no. for the most part, is it? it's based on trying to no. achieve success and, but most, and win, I mean, win games. Most other, um, I mean, as well as being a director of Charlton, I'm also a trustee of our charity, and we run it totally differently to a football club. It's a completely different business. Really? How do you how do you do it? Um, and we, you know, we've got cash reserves that would, you know, see the see it through any sort of crisis, and 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 would be enable it to run its business in all sorts of different mm. situations. And we've got everything in place that. That, that is the absolute correct way of doing things. It's funny how things go in cycles, isn't it? Because I've grown up in a post, obviously, era of, of Jimmy Hill and the, the player maximum player wage, and that ceiling was burst in the 60s, and we've seen it exponentially increase in terms of salaries since. And when we have e- economic experts on at Sky, they always cite how football clubs generally 
pay a higher, much higher proportion of, of income out in wages than other, other businesses. Do you see that might maybe changing and just a, a rethinking of that? I know there is that desperation undercurrent of trying to win games, isn't there? But do you, do you think that perhaps there's, there may be a limit to, to what, how much salaries you can pay proportionate to your income, well, etc.? Yeah, I mean, ironically, there, there have been some, some talks recently about amending the um, salary cost management for League One and League Two and financial fair play, whatever you want to call it. And, and tightening it up a bit. I mean, we I went to a meeting on that subject, probably a meeting a couple of weeks ago, and one, and one person said, Do you know what, whenever you talk to anybody in football, whenever you go to one of these mm. meetings, whenever you, whenever it's half-time and you're just talking to the opposition board members in, you know, for a cup of tea or whatever, two things that everybody complains about. One is referees. <laughs> but that's never going to change well we right? tried to help that this season I'm VAR not, and it hasn't quite that's one thing that we're not talking about though is I'm VAR not, isn't I'm it not, yeah. I'm not saying that, that, that they are bad but that's just that's, that's just the one topic that always comes up and the other is how much we're paying players everybody yeah. moans constantly 24-7 about how much they're paying the players well, does that need a collective but agreement on what you're going to nothing ever gets yeah. done about it because mm. the problem then is if you make an agreement finish as you know as a player isn't it if, if some clubs stick to an agreement and others then offer more that it's going to be players will on a short, short career they'll, they'll, they'll grab to that higher salary absolutely you know we, we've seen you see it time and time again you know and, and, and lads do use clubs like ours as mm. a platform or a stepping stone to, to go and earn more elsewhere or play higher um, but sometimes people are actually taking steps down a league or two now to earn a lot more money at certain clubs yeah. just because there's no sort of have a rich owner or something throw money it. in yeah there's yeah. ways around sort of things and, and people are earning you know extortionate amounts of money in, in the lower leagues at times at certain clubs as well so it's it's always going to be difficult for, for managers and teams and clubs to compete with teams that are throwing yeah. that kind of money around although it doesn't always come <laughs> hand in hand with, with success as we've seen mm. here over the years you know we, we, we've competed and, and beaten teams who've been paying a lot more money to to players and staff and things like that and, and still managed to compete with them so yeah I think Charlton's got a relatively low budget it's interesting if you found that duality quite eye-opening though from being a player to being on the then the commercial side of it do you understand more about the complexity of the, the finances a little bit a little bit a lot of that's sort of dealt with at board level with the you know the, yeah. the, the FD and, and the board um, you know a lot of that discussion goes on around the boardroom table which I'm not party to but um, obviously I've got a little bit of an idea and, and you know um, it's, it's interesting because yeah. when you're a player you just you're just concerned with yourself turn it you know what you earn, what you come in, you know, how you train, yeah. getting fit, playing on a, you know, how you're playing. Um, obviously, captain in the team later on, you're a bit more concerned about making sure other people are doing things right mm. as well. But, uh, you know, when you're when you come in as a member of staff, you you see things differently. Do you um, think Do you think players would be welcome following this crisis to a sort of considered consideration of clubs and and, a, and a, a maybe a minimum wage again or a guide wage or something that's prudent? if it means the safety of the clubs because safety because ultimately it's safety of their employment I guess in a way isn't it? it it is I guess but you know I think history will tell you that probably players will yeah. generally you know 95% of players will take the best contract they can get at whatever club that might be there's come back to that question of loyalty, loyalty don't we yeah, yeah I mean yeah. people talk about loyalty but you can switch it and turn it on, on its head and move yeah. things around and sometimes players will say the you know, the, would the club be loyal if, if, yeah. if, if you were there? Well, I, just, I just wonder if what we're talking about, yeah. Paul, as well, with the, the length of contracts, which works against the player sometimes, the uncertainty. Do you think there would be a, a, a rethink of, of a more prudent situation where maybe the contract's longer but the wage is slightly lower and that there's 
more of a, a balanced view of it in terms of the club's proportion of salaries they're paying relative to the income? Yeah, possibly. I think the, the, the people that hold the keys to it are the PFA, really, because they, um, you know, whenever there's a negotiation over the form, the standard form players' contract and, and over the terms of, of that, it's always the PFA that have the, seem to have the strongest hand in the negotiations, or so, really? so I'm told. Um, you know, the players, since, since, certainly since Bosman, since the end of... Um, you know, since freedom of contract was introduced in this country before Bosman, mm. and then Bosman came in. Bosman was what, 1995? 1995. Yeah. Um, all the power has been with the players. Um, and, you know, that, that's in line with, um, with European legislation and now, you know, UK legislation. Suppose as long as those players are wanted so by the club, yeah. Yeah, you know, there's nothing untoward about it from a legal point of view, but it doesn't really work for football. Mm. Got to be honest. Yeah. Having, that, having that much freedom to just. You know, um, hold clubs to, to whatever they can yeah. and get and play them off against each other. And or could it be more of a regular employment model where you don't have transfer fees and things like that? People sometimes see that as a sort of anachronism, don't they? That there's that aspect to it. Well, I mean, there would have to be another way of redistributing funds within the game if that were the case, because although it's a bit haphazard at the moment, but certainly transfer of income does. For small, is, is for smaller a way clubs. Of filtering money down, yeah. Mm. We've benefited from that ourselves in the last couple of years. Mm. So, yeah, if you didn't have that way of doing things, then there would have to be another way of mm. trying to bridge the huge gaps in, in revenues that exist between the different levels of the game. How many? Our, our, our argument has always been that English football is, is not just the Premier League. Mm. it's the whole of English football that's what makes it so great yeah there's no other country in the world that's got as many professional teams as we have I don't think the top tier really survives unless the culture is so obsessed with football around the country which takes it all the way down to grassroots Mm. so that you know but it's naturally I suppose there you know there is this uh, there's always been this um, process of concentrating the wealth in the at the top but Mm. it doesn't really work well, often, often I always find it more surprising. Finn, as you were saying, that sometimes you're amazed by the standard of the Premier League and even the Championship. But sometimes we're still reminded in cup competitions that that golf isn't always there, particularly in a team game, that you can see a team outwork and, and outfox sometimes a, an elite level team that's being paid hundreds of times more than them individually per, per week. Yeah, occasionally. Yeah, occasionally it still happens. And you do see a lot of these Premier League or Championship sides. Yeah. I thought Completely. Portsmouth Arsenal recently wasn't that much of a goal no. between the teams. And Leeds, went, I mean, I know Leeds are close anyway, but they went to Arsenal and played them off the park in the first half. But, mm. um, and you always worry whether teams like that can step into the Premier League and cope, but then you look at Sheffield United and teams like that and see what they're doing now. Burnley, who've yeah. gone up and stayed up and, you know, top half of the table, doing fantastic jobs with English managers. But... Um, sorry, I've... I've I've lost my no, no, I was just talking about how the, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the, mean, the, the contrast of the yeah. salaries versus the actual ability of players. I've been to Anfield and, and watched games, and now that, you know, go back 20 years to when I was playing or, you know, when I was starting to play, there were, there were still people in the Premier League that weren't like thoroughbreds, they weren't full on athletes, yeah. they still had, you know, carrying a little bit, or, but, <laughs> but they were just yeah, genius, genius <laughs> yeah. on the ball or, yeah. or whatever, yeah, but they are literally all absolute athletes now. and and you know they are prob- they should be at all levels now you know, the amount of money that people are getting paid and the amount of training and knowledge yeah. that they've got going in um, but occasionally yeah lower league teams still can compete or beat 
top level teams but generally it's when they've sort of rested half mm. their team and things so it's like quite that hard to do. score in football which makes it a sort of level of playing field doesn't it yeah. you, you can pack people in front of the goal and then if they can't get it in the you net it's sort of a <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's interesting that, that aspect to it but Paul what do you think about football can it ever be financially prudent in the way that an individual another company might be or, or savers might be because you've got the, the support the passion the what drives the revenue is is fans who who crave clubs to, to spend as much as possible, don't they? And to, to give it as good a go because they're not here to, to watch it become a, a prudent, you know, kind of saving organisation. No, not at all. I mean, and there, is, there will always be intense pressure on clubs to recruit the best players that they can and to try and win games. That's, that's the game. And uh, as I said earlier, you can't for that reason. You can't rely on the clubs themselves to self-regulate because mm. they won't. Yeah. Just, so you do. So the minimum wage and stuff like that was a, that was in there for a reason. So, effectively. so really, that it has to come from uh, trying to find some sort of consensus within the football bodies themselves, or maybe even um, you know at government level, just you know, to to try and just pull keep, together. Just keep, yeah, and just and just keep a lid on the, on some of the crazy stuff that goes on. Really. Because then when you get a crisis like this current one... The crazy stuff being outlandish spending that's not yeah, relative to income. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And because when you get a crisis like this one, that's, that's, you hold up a mirror to it and you, and, and you think, well, yeah. me. <laughs> I suppose we understand why... <laughs> where, where did all that money go that we need now? It's a window to why financial fair play was brought in, wasn't it? The idea that your business has to be kind of make sense on the books rather than just one rich individual comes in and, and bankrolls you for a while and, and commits you to contracts that the actual income doesn't support. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, again, even though we, that's not the situation with us, we, we don't have anybody bankrolling us, but there's nothing illegal about doing that. There's nothing mm. there's nothing, nothing that says you can't do that. Um, we'd always be wary because what happened, the age-old question, what happens if that individual then suddenly decides he doesn't want to do it anymore or is unable to? Mm. You've, you've then got a serious issue. You know, I mean, it's, it's happened very recently with, with some clubs in the in the league and, and Barry, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So um, you know, all those sort of problems can result. I mean, in an ideal world clubs would stand largely on their own two feet and generate what they can from their own activities and, and, and you know compete accordingly. But of course people there will always be people that want to Put money into the local football team, or or into into football team somewhere, because for the, for whatever reasons they want to do it. And mm. so, so there's it's the emotional emotional business, isn't it? Yeah. That. I have to say that if if I ever won the Euro Millions, I wouldn't I wouldn't uh, much as I <laughs> love my football team. I'd spend it. I spend all the money on the ground and the training ground and the facilities. I wouldn't spend any on the team. Oh, I see what you mean. So the pragmatic for the future, no, yeah. yeah. Definitely, yeah. Put it all in the infrastructure. Mm. Which is what Burnley have done, isn't it? Incrementally, I think, oh, through yeah, their time yeah, in the yeah, Premier League. Yeah, yeah. Very, very wise the approach they've taken there, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Just out of curiosity, how many employees does Cheltenham Town have and how many people are sort of concerned about the situation? Um, around full-time or, or sort of senior um, people, around, around about the, between 80 and 90. Okay. Plus, on top of that, match day staff and other other people, you know, we're up to about 160. Yeah, so there's a lot of people connected to that income of this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's an interesting time, isn't it? Do you feel, the comparison to history is difficult as well, presumably because Cheltenham was, what, an amateur club in the Second World War and things like that? Yeah, we were a semi-professional club back then. We were in, we were in the Southern League, yeah, so it was a bit, bit of a different situation. There's less at stake, yeah. I suppose. 
because there's a club sort of say seventh tier nationwide north and south spoken to Jamie O'Hara who's former Tottenham Hotspur player but manager of Billericay Town is saying that actually their players are on contract to be paid but a lot of them have other jobs so there's mm. a sort of safety net you can see League Two and the Nation League the, the National League the conference is almost a, a precarious, the, the precarious place to be isn't it where you're just professional yeah indeed yeah, it's, yeah. yeah. What's your thought? What's your take on it? Are you optimistic that things will come together? And do you, do you envisage when all this, whenever it have weeks and months, when it when it comes, there'll be a renewed appetite for social gatherings, for football in particular, and for commu- oh. community businesses? I, I went to a non-league game on Saturday just because I had to go to a game, you know, and and it was abundantly clear just from the conversations I was hearing around me that people are already mightily unhappy that there's no football yeah people, <laughs> and, people watching Super League for the first time and, and, uh, <laughs> yeah you know, people watching you know uh, gamers <laughs> doing, doing oh, wow. squash know, I think was on the weekend as well yeah. like or digging out old games and old, old, old football programmes from the YouTube and stuff like that so oh yeah the, the, there's going to be immense pressure I think there's going to be a bit of a backlash against all of the measures that have been rightly put in place to, you know it's all done mm. to safeguard public health and all the rest of it but Government's concerned about timing, weren't they? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But there's going to be a real strong feeling before long that that people want some sort of normality to come back. And as I said, there's a parallel there with the Second World War in that football is a force for you know enjoyment and fun, and and, mm. and it helps to boost the morale of the people. And so if you could get football back, I think it boosts your immune system as well, having fun and, and happiness yeah. and, and yeah. Things, yeah. If you, yeah, as you can get football back, the happier people are going to be. Yeah. What's your what's your read on it? Do you expect a bit of a sort of euphoria when it finally finally passes? I think so. It's like Paul just said there. I went up to Leeds at the weekend, see my parents, and even my mum. She doesn't watch football as a general rule. They don't have Sky or anything like that. But they put the radio on the Saturday <laughs> afternoon. Let's down. Listen, yeah, <laughs> listen to you know Leeds United on Radio Leeds, and they put the results on. You know, yeah, quarter past half past four, whatever time they start coming through. And even my mum was just missing that. She felt a bit because they're they're almost self isolated anyway. Yeah. They, they don't go out with a lot of parents, but um, that's one of their things that they enjoy on a weekend: getting the radio on, listening to the football, yeah. putting the results on the TV. And she didn't know what to well, do with herself. So it's interesting. Just my mum's not a, a you know she's she's a sports fan, but she doesn't go to games. But she still sort of felt missed that yeah. Saturday afternoon community. There's yeah, no, there's no sports. Yeah, it's, it's strange and. And I, and I think people will start to miss that. It's a social ritual, isn't it, as well? Yeah. Watching, watching it and going to a game, watching Soccer Saturday, whatever it might be. people probably don't actually realise how much of their life... Revolves around that yeah. structure, yeah. Yeah, and then, obviously, we, we, we know to expect that it's not going to be there in the summer, but there's all the transfer activity and everything else yeah. that keeps it interesting. It's another but debate. At the moment, it? it's just all yeah. ground to a halt and there's nothing to talk about apart yeah. from what might happen. Well, Paul mentions the UEFA meeting. I guess there'll be some sort of edict potentially or <clears throat> maybe not now, but the transfer window, things like that will be yeah. be affected by it, by it all as well. I suppose it's a time as well, Paul, to be community-minded. You mentioned before we started recording you're going to frequent your local coffee shop because others may not be. But when this all clears away, perhaps there'll be an emphasis on, on local businesses and, and local sports teams as well. Because I know that people in Cheltenham typically will go to watch Aston Villa in the Premier League or Bristol City or even Swindon Town, maybe. You know, do you think that might might be a change of mindset within football and out? You'd hope so. Yeah, you'd hope that the, that people would would look to their lo- to support their local community rather than further afield. Certainly, the travel ban. You know, I don't know how long that's going to stay in place, or whether people will feel the need to to go abroad necessarily for holidays this year. They might want to look closer to home mm. uh, and do some recreation um, 
things in their own backyard rather than going too far afield. So, yeah, you, you, you would ho- certainly hope that once this is all over, or once we get the all clear to start playing again, that there will be a real you know, upsurge in enthusiasm for getting out and, and going, trying to get back to normal life. How are you going to keep yourself busy in the meantime as we finish? I've got plenty to do. Um, yeah. There's a lot of, in, in my job, there's a lot of tasks that sort of have to sit on the back burner a little bit because you, you've got the constant round of Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday yeah. football going on and then you've got a transfer window, you've got to register. So you get ahead of yourself a bit now. So the sort of jobs you only kind of, kind of tend to do in the close season might as well try and get on with them now because who knows we might not have much of a close season this mm. year we might be playing football right back to back pretty much yeah yeah I mean whatever happens things are going to be very different for the rest of this year when it comes to the football calendar so we might as well take advantage of use the time wisely now and, and, and get those jobs cleared and do, do a few other things and, and um, you know get as I said focus on that light at the end of the tunnel however far away it may, may seem at the moment yeah and, and get ready for when we can um, when we can start playing again. Certainly, so I think quickly, Kevin, will I score podcasts? A good one for football fans in the meantime as well. You'll listen to some nostalgia. Finish. What are you what are you going to be up to? You've got sponsors to speak to in the meantime, I suppose. Yeah, we, like I said, we're we're meeting tomorrow to discuss what what we can be doing in the in the time that's that people might feel like it's a little bit dead. We're not getting sort of inquiries coming in all the time. Hmm. We've got no no games to sell, no events um, to sell in the immediate you know future. So just planning really for the future and what, what might be and um, getting things in place but it's, it's really yeah. difficult with sponsors because you, you just don't know when, when things are going to end or when the no. next lot's going to start but keeping but, the communication open at the moment exactly yeah. Yeah. and just you know keep make, making people aware of, of where we are and, and what we're doing and, and what plans we're putting in place really well John Finners pleasure thank you and, and Paul appreciate it thank you very much and best of, best of luck with, with the business and, and with the health as well thank you thank you cheers